the axe of the blood god. <laughs> Welcome to another episode of Axe of Blood God, US Gamer's official RPG podcast. I'm your host, Cat Bailey. With me, as always, my lovely co-host, Nadia Oxford. Hello, everybody. As I said on our uh, primary podcast, I survived New York City. Woo-hoo. Primary podcast. We're going to have to start a rivalry with uh, the US Gamer <laughs> podcast now. <laughs> I guess their flagship podcast is a better word, eh? It's on, baby. Though I will be leading the podcast again next week because Mike's going to be out for a review event. So I will be back on the U.S. Gamer podcast next week. But uh, otherwise, things are bad, Nadia. Times are bad. Times are not very good. We uh, we were just talking about how you're having some connection problems because of uh, the wildfires and everything. Oh, God, yeah. No, it's terrible. Thankfully, I live in the city, so I'm pretty much safe from the wildfires. But uh, it's real bad up in Napa, Sonoma, Santa Rosa, mm-hmm. that area. And I have multiple friends who yeah. have been impacted uh, by this, who've had to evacuate, their parents have had to evacuate. Um, shout out to my good friend, uh, Vodka Tonic, who is a reader of the site and I believe a listener to the podcast. Uh, his mother had to evacuate and uh, just um, my thoughts are with them, obviously. And Absolutely. Good luck. Yeah, no, it's it's terrifying here because, I mean, you walk outside and this the air is actually hazy. Yeah, yeah. I was telling uh, Katie how I follow John Davison's uh, Facebook, and he, he does biking. And basically, he has his big mask on now because he, you can't do anything otherwise. It's You can't breathe. No, it's the worst. Uh, I haven't been able to go running, which, I mean, obviously, that's a very small sacrifice, all things considered. <laughs> but yeah. the air smells like campfire. It's yeah, like, and it's been like that for a long time. Like I remember you saying that like last week. Yeah, no, so, and it's only going to get worse, apparently. Wow. So, I'm just hoping that uh, some of my friends' parents don't end up losing everything, but uh, I, I bring it up in part, not not just to highlight the fact that it's a thing that's happening, but I also, you should go donate money. Um, mm-hmm. You can go and donate and help through the Red Cross. Uh, you should go, there's a city crowdfunding for Santa Rosa at the You Caring page um, that has raised more than $33,000 uh, as of last week. That's good. And you should also look into the Sonoma County Resilience Fund um, that will be aiding mid to long term needs for displaced residents and uh, the Airbnb's open homes program to host people who've had to evacuate. So you please go and help and God also donate to Puerto Rico, uh, everything else. I mean, it's it's bad right now. So many disasters. It's so sad how there's no shortage of things to donate to right now. Yeah, I, I don't want to like make everybody sad. This isn't the this isn't the podcast of talking about current events and disasters and politics. I understand that you guys are here for a little escape uh, mm-hmm. to listen to RPGs, but I I, I kind of feel like kind of feel the need to be like, hey guys, go help your fellow peoples. So yeah, I think we're gonna have to help each other out a lot in the coming days, months, years. In the meantime, this is by no means nearly as bad as disasters in Northern California or in Puerto Rico or anything, but I'm real sad, Nadia. (laughs) The U.S. men's soccer team got eliminated from the World Cup the other day, and I'm still recovering. Yeah, I saw you were very very sad about it on Twitter. You said it was a real waste of four years. 
I mean, I've been grieving. And, and the worst thing is, is that I'm not going to be watching the next World Cup because it's basically the stadiums were built on slave labor. Oh, where's that taking place? Qatar. Oh, geez. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's a corrupt World Cup built on slave labor, and it's an absolute atrocity, and I refuse to support it. And mm. yeah, maybe not watching it, maybe a single person not watching won't help much, but at least I won't be finding myself in a position going, this World Cup sure is fun. Yeah. I'm just going to ignore now that these these stadiums were built on the bo- bones of migrant laborers. Yeah, that sounds, uh, at least you're putting your money where your mouth is. I mean. Yeah, that's it, all you can do, right? did that. Now, if I just stop watching the NFL, like my hands will be even cleaner. But <laughs> I, as, as a result, I haven't been playing as many RPGs. Uh, I've actually been playing a lot of FIFA, which is kind of like an RPG. It's kind of an RPG. Yeah, we've talked about that in the past. I spend my, I spend a lot of time grinding in that game for money. <laughs> <laughs> Man, if only you could grind for money in real world. Yeah, sports games, as I've said in the past, are basically RPGs. Very stats focused. Very a very collect them all type vibe and this year's version has a thing called uh squad battles which are basically daily challenges that are updated mm-hmm. each day it's kind of like an mmorpg in that regard basically oh, wow. encouraging you to log in each day and play some games collect some points it's really annoyingly addictive and i really need to stop <laughs> that actually sounds a great deal like free to play mobile rpgs where they want to you, they want you to check in every single day and they offer you like rewards for doing so yeah i'm i'm kind of chuckling to be honest because everybody of course is up in arms about the whole loot box thing and i suppose mm-hmm. we'll talk about that in a little bit but i mean fifa ea sports games have been doing the loot box thing for a while now i mean they're called See, it's basically a CCG loot box thing where you buy a deck, where you get a pack of cards and you yeah. open it up and hope you may get one really good player, but mostly you'll probably get a, a bunch of trash. <laughs> a bunch of trash players. Vendor trash that you have to kind of get rid of. Mm-hmm. And they totally balance the game toward spending money. And yeah, the entire culture is built around spending money. It's actually kind of insane. That's the thing that people miss about this whole loot box thing. Mm-hmm. Like, people are mad about it. But the fact of the matter is, there are going to be literally YouTube channels devoted to opening loot boxes. There probably already is. You mentioned there are for uh, sports games, right? Yeah. No, there are people who spend all of their time just ripping packs. And this is the thing that goes back to magic. Like, Magic the Gathering. Yeah, that's true. Where ripping packs is part of the culture for that. Yeah. And... Uh, I was listening to another podcast I was listening to. The host was talking about how his son has really gotten into baseball cards, but he doesn't really want the baseball cards. He just wants to watch YouTube channels of people opening packs of baseball cards. (laughs) Wow. When I was a kid, we just wanted the gum. (laughs) (laughs) That nasty ass gum that cut your cheek. But uh, I I wanted, we, we talked a fair amount about the loot box thing on the flagship podcast earlier this week. I, I know that Mike and Katie, and you all had thoughts, but mm-hmm. I just wanted to point out that this is a thing that goes back to RPGs, uh, specifically free-to-play MMORPGs. Oh, God, yes, absolutely. And I'm constantly reminded of how back in 2010 I was playing Star Trek Online, and they had these freaking lockboxes. I hated those lockboxes. <laughs> Because they were even worse than regular loot boxes. Because at least in lo- the cur- cor- terms of loot boxing, mm-hmm. you get a loot box for free every time you level up, right? Right. So you're periodically getting loot boxes. And if you don't want to spend money, you can hypothetically get away with not 
opening anything up. Yeah. But what's really annoying, what's really annoying in this, in Star Trek Online, was that all of the drops were lock boxes, and the lock boxes, you had to spend a dollar to buy a key to open the box. Really? Oh, yeah. Really? It so was it the worst. It wasn't like you would level up, you'd get a box, you open it. Mm-hmm. You basically get a box and you had to buy the key. Mm-hmm. What a ripoff. Total ripoff. And the worst feeling in the world was spending a buck to get a key uh-huh. and opening it up and getting like garbage. <laughs> Just trash. And you go, wow. And they did their part to try and improve upon it. But what was really annoying is that they had special ships inside these mm-hmm. lock boxes that you had to spend insane amounts and you had like a one in a million chance. It, yeah. it was a ridiculously low chance of actually getting these ships. But some of them were so cool and I didn't want them to be in the lockbox. I wanted them in my collection, damn it. Yeah, of course. But you ha- if, you wa- if you want them, you have to pay and hope that you get them. <laughs> and what was really, really annoying was that a lot of these ships were super high quality ships that mm-hmm. people would bring into PvP and that kind of thing and it would totally ruin the balance of the game. Now that's pay to win. Yeah, absolutely. This whole thing reminds me of, uh, this wasn't a pay-to-win game because uh, it was only single-player, but uh, one of the first times everyone lost their shit over a mobile game was Final Fantasy All the Bravest, uh, because if you wanted, basically the, the default players were like generic white mages, red mages, whatever. If you wanted the, the title characters, like Cloud, whoever, you had to pay a dollar, and you'd like, get a random character, so... <laughs> You know, I think uh, game trailers uh, put it like, uh, you want cloud? Fuck it, you get Shantoto. Who's that? <laughs> From Final Fantasy XI. Dollar, gone. <laughs> it's the so, same yeah. with uh, Fire Emblem Heroes. Yeah, exactly. Where you would you would spend to try and get these characters that you really wanted. All I wanted was the archer from Fire Emblem Fates. Uh, I think it was, mm-hmm. yeah, it was from Birthright. He was on the Birthright side of the equation. Uh, one of the main character archers. He was so cool. I loved the design. I desperately wanted him in my party, but I had like a 0% chance of getting him. At least at least in FIFA, there's an auction house. Okay, yeah, that's true. That that gives you a chance, a fighting chance. Yeah, like if I scraped and scrimped and saved and played for months upon months, there's a non-zero chance that I could eventually have like a really great player like Messi or Ronaldo or Neymar on my team. Yeah, yeah. these char- yeah, these players cost mi- literally hundreds of thousands of coins, even into the millions. But there's still a chance. At least I can mm-hmm. buy them. I have no yeah. chance. I had no chance of getting that guy in Fire Emblem Heroes because I just wasn't willing to invest the money to keep going to the gotchas. And even if I was, even if I were, there was a pretty low chance that I would actually get him. Exactly. I hate that crap. I, one thing I really hate about Fire Emblem Heroes uh, Gacha is that you can only draw, like, the characters all are designated to a color, like red, blue, green, or neutral. And every time you bring up the summoning altar, uh, you can only summon, like, you get a random, you kind of get random spots. So you might be able to summon, like, one red character and, like, three green characters or any any number of combinations. So it wasn't even like you had a chance of uh, getting, like, your favorite character, like, like a one and even if it was like one in one million fine but you sometimes didn't even have that one in one million chance uh, i just i know why companies do this it's because <laughs> it's a crash cow there are whales out there who will spend literally thousands of dollars i mm-hmm. read with star trek online there are people who spent like ten thousand dollars wow. just opening lockbox after lockbox after lockbox looking for ships 
where do people get this money? Give me some of this money. I want some of this money. Well, I mean, there are some people who just, they don't have anything else to spend the money on. Oh, or it must be nice. And they will tell you, well, don't tell me how to spend my money, which that's fine. <laughs> fine you can I spend can. your money any way you want. I don't understand it. I think it's completely insane that you're doing that. Mm-hmm. I don't know. Even if you get the thing that you want, I don't know. I always feel a hollow pit in my stomach when I quote unquote monetize. Like, mm-hmm. I spent 50 bucks on Madden 18's Ultimate Team because I was like, well, this this pack of cards is really, it's a pretty good value, and I'm going to get a whole bunch of good players out of it, so mm-hmm. it's probably worth spending the money on it. Right. But once I did, like, I got a whole bunch of good players, and my team was kind of filled out a bit, but I had a hollow pit in my stomach of, <laughs> why did I do that? You did not feel fulfilled. I did not feel fulfilled at all. So... Uh. But I I totally blame the developers who are willing to turn a blind eye mm-hmm. to the way that they are taking advantage of these people. They're going, well, you know, I'm not going to tell people how to spend your money. That's no better. I'm sorry. <laughs> Maybe like there's a moral gap here, mm-hmm. but it just reminds me of how back in the 2007 uh, the back in 2006, 2007, people were selling subprime mortgages and going, well, they should just do the research and understand what they're getting into. I don't right, see the, well, I don't see the moral problem here. It's it's all bad all the way around. <laughs> that did not end well. It's like casinos calling people who are have gambling problems mm-hmm. and telling them, hey, come back to the casino, yo. We got free drinks, we'll and also we'll give shit. you a credit, and we're giving you all this free stuff. Keep coming back. We want to you know, take I've all never, your money. I've never been to a Vegas and see a casino, believe it or not. Um, I did play slots in the Las Vegas airport, and I had to stop over from E3, and I, I won 10 bucks. But uh, my parents were telling me about these casinos because they visited, and they say like they have no clocks. They have no windows. There's no way to tell if time is passing. They just keep you fed and give like liquored up for dirt cheap if not free prices vegas is the worst i i hate vegas so much i (laughs) I want to visit just i uh, oh have you never been to vegas no other than that airport stopover no it's you feel like you're in bizarro world Mm -hmm. because everything is super quote-unquote high class but also astonishingly tacky (laughs) sounds like my kind of place and you're walking through you're in these labyrinthian malls everything is just labyrinthian Mm -hmm. shopping malls beyond the casinos and then as you're walking past the buffets it's just a line a mile long of people riding scooters obese people and scooters heading into the buffet and you're like yep these are the kind of people who are coming to vegas uh to spend their weekend (laughs) Like kind of like uh, what was that movie? Uh, Wally, and they're all just kind of riding yeah, around in no. the pushy chairs. That's what it goes. And yes, there are people who regular people who go to Vegas and enjoy it. And I'm not going to begrudge you. I'm just saying that when I was there, ugh, <laughs> it's, <laughs> weird place. It's it's just so tacky. It, everything about it is so amazingly tacky. But uh, yeah, I just I I think the thing that I really begrudge about loot boxes is. I, I've said this, I ranted about this on the podcast before. I ranted about it with Fire Emblem Heroes. I really hate it when it skews the balance of the game, when mm-hmm. it is encouraging grinding. And Middle Earth Shadow of War is only in the most tertiary of sense a RPG. Right. Yeah, it has loot, whatever. But the fact that these loot boxes are coming in, and in order to get the best ending, you have to grind orcs. 
And it's like, well, you can either grind for orcs or you can spend money on loot boxes. What you want to do? Yeah, that's just so so, so against the, the spirit of Lord of the Rings and, and Tolkien and everything. It's just, there was someone who said on Twitter, hey, kids, why don't you check out, like, learn about the real loot box, your local library. <laughs> so the best ending traditionally has been either you there's an easter egg like some kind of specialized piece of knowledge that you can use to get to the best ending or you have some like really amazing skill a great example is valkyrie profile which i brought up before yeah you have to use a guide essentially to get the best ending but it's really gratifying to have that piece of knowledge Mm -hmm. right there's Mm -hmm. not grinding per se involved at all it's just knowing what you need to do to trigger the good, the best ending. That's an Easter egg. It's neat. I like it. Right. To just put it behind, to just balance it around grinding. Yeah. To, so it's like, well, it's just a time up. sink. Either you pay to accelerate or you grind, and we know, that, and we are balancing it explicitly so you spend money. I don't like that. I think that no. compromises the game. I agree. And I feel really bad for the developers working on this game because it's not their decision as far as I, I know. No, uh, no. Usually it's not. It's the publisher saying, hey, you know what? Make us some real good money here. <laughs> and it's only, only going to get worse because publishers are finally waking up to the fact that, holy crap, Overwatch and Madden and FIFA make ungodly amounts of money. Mm-hmm. And if they're going to keep making these these platforms... Oh, don't forget GTA Five. GTA oh, Five. <laughs> I think at this point, Rockstar could buy their own country. <laughs> they like probably they probably could. have a measurable GDP. Rockstarsia. The the amount of money that GTA Five generates from all, all of their online stuff. They're finally wake up to the fact that hey, loot boxes are worth a lot of money. And this is it. This is our future right here. I Although mean, something we talked about on the podcast yesterday is, um, yes, people love loot boxes. They buy them. Overwatch is an, an excellent example. But given like Mike brought up how there's been one game after another after another in this instance with like really scummy loot boxes like including uh, Shadow of War. And there's been a lot of backlash against scummy loot boxes like this. Now, will publishers step back a little bit and say, okay, you know what? Cosmetic stuff, fine. We can like farm that out till the cows come home. We can make a million dollars off that because you can. Overwatch is all cosmetic. So are they going to kind of cease with this whole pay-to-win thing, at least for a while, kind of <laughs> step back a little bit? Or are they going to go full bore? I'm eager to see or to know how many loot boxes people have bought in Shadow of War, for example. Oh, they're going to go full bore because the gamers, the gaming community is up in arms, but the average person doesn't care. That's a good point, too, yeah. They're so inured to this to this, this, this pricing structure, to this uh, way of making money through mobile gaming and everything, that they're like, yeah, no, this is perfectly normal. I'm just going to spend for my gotcha boxes, whatever. Like, I'm used to this. Mm-hmm. And... I don't think developers c- care at all. Well, then again, it's been this way for a very long time in uh, in Asia, a lot of mm-hmm. parts of Asia. That's like, why uh, I was like free to play MMORPGs. That's where it kind of yeah. originated. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, one of the first, in- actually, the first instance I ever saw of uh, pay to, uh, you paying for a free to play stuff is uh, I used to play this kind of this Worms clone called Gunbound on mm. right on the on a web browser. It was like two thousand and four. And one day they were like, hey, you could buy these costume accessories for actual money. I'm like, what the hell is this noise about? <laughs> <laughs> and here we are. Here this we was, are. This is a Korean uh, a game based in Korea. I remember thinking once upon a time that free-to-play MMORPGs were a good idea. How wrong I was. They yeah, ruined everything. Having, 
having reviewed many, many of them, although it's been a long time since I've really dedicated myself to mobile reviews, there were definitely uh, there were definitely some of them that were well balanced and they were pretty fair, and they still gave you a good incentive to buy loot boxes. And then there are the ones that were just scum. So I guess maybe there's still that balance out there. I don't know. I haven't checked in on a while. I doubt that there's that balance, but <laughs> <laughs> all right. I said my piece about loot boxes. I I hate them, and I and I was playing Battlefront, and it actually completely blows my mind. Of course, EA did this because they made so much money off Ultimate Team. That's where their mindset is. Of course, they made it where you got actual gameplay items out of their loot boxes. It's so stupid. <laughs> How can they compromise the gameplay to that extent? It's unbelievable. That's what they're doing. <sighs> All right. Moving on to something that's also kind of unbelievable. Uh, EZ8's localization is being redone by NIS America. Yeah, I am, I am surprised on this one. This is completely insane on so many levels okay we can never I, let me just say please don't ever complain about treehouse's localization or please alice's <laughs> localization ever freaking again okay yeah. to screw up the localization to the point where you have to put out a make good patch where you have to actively fix it that is insane but i'm still confused because okay i haven't finished the game it's definitely a game that i want to finish because i really enjoyed it but I did not have a big problem at all with the localization. And as I've said in our uh, flagship podcast yesterday, uh, I am not like hardcore, hardcore Ease fan. I've, uh, but I am familiar with the more modern ones, like I played uh, Ark and I played um, Oath and Felgana. So I did not find it to be a step down. I, I don't okay. get where people are coming from. I mean, it's uh, grammatical issues, typos. Uh... Kotaku had a, a pretty great example. They highlighted the an example. In the original Japanese, it was crevice of the Archaeozoic era. And the Ease 8 localization is Archaeozoic big hole. <laughs> okay, I didn't notice too much of that. Stuff like that absolutely fixed that. But again, I don't think it was so much of a problem that I noticed it a lot. And one thing Mike said... Uh, yesterday that makes a lot of sense is this is an era where people can take a screenshot presented out of context to social media and say look what a bad job this is look how, look how horrible this is and people say oh oh yeah that's that's awful and then the person says this is what it said in the original japanese and everyone's like oh, oh yeah you're right i understand so not much has changed i guess like look how much people dumped on Wolsey back in the day i like this one yeah i ate and took a shit i'm feeling great today as usual <laughs> <laughs> that's uh, that's the one sh screenshot that confuses me. That's Sahad. He talks like that throughout the whole game. He doesn't really get as as quite as what's the word I'm looking for gruff, rough as the word shit. He kind of alludes to other bodily functions, but that is the way he talks. He is that tropey Japanese big, you know, guy hard to goal, like you know, says what comes to mind sort of thing. Like it's perfectly in character for him from what I saw of him. That big uh, hole might be a good location for Dana. <laughs> okay, that's great. <laughs> oh, it's not, the, it's not like the most brilliant localization, I guess. But again, I didn't notice a huge gap between that and the other Ease games. I, I still think it's great that they're going back. They care that much to go back and fix it. That's really good of them. I just don't think it was like we're not talking about like 
something that's so horrible I didn't I, I was distracted from playing the game. Well, NIS America doesn't have a great reputation uh, mm. for their localization. Uh, and a lot of that is due to the fact that they're kind of a smaller publisher. Yeah. And they are of limited resources. But the fact of the matter is localization actually is important. And oh, yeah. people do pay attention to localization issues. And the fact that they apparently messed it up this badly is actually really bad because... They're having to go back and getting a new editor and a new translator to take a look at this. I'm sure it costs them a whole bunch of money. Yeah, that's why I really admire them for doing it, because that goes to show how much they do care about the fans, because they could have told them to go hang, but they didn't. <laughs> they they are putting, obviously, a lot of effort into redoing this. Yeah, uh, apparently there was a petition uh, going from fans to actually get this fixed, but... Fans were concerned going in because XSeed has a relatively solid reputation for putting mm-hmm. together good localizations. Right. And they and fans are going, I don't know. And as America, I'm not sure. I, I really hope that this works out. And it seemingly hasn't. Because NIS America, this is the first Ease game that NIS America has done. Right, right. Okay. So, so they've kind of had their chance and now they've really blown it. Well, I'm glad that they're going to try to make it right by the, the fans. I mean, again, I didn't have a big problem with the translation, but I am not like a, a really hardcore Ease fan. And I can see how people who have been following this game since it was in Japan and kind of having fans translate it as they go, I guess I can see why they would be irritated that the uh, translation did not meet up to their expectations. People have very high standards for localization, but I think that in the case of Ease 8, it's like, ugh, it's... I think it's self-evidently bad. And people were highlighting the fact that some of NIS America's past localization problems, like they did, this is a game I haven't thought about in years, but Artanelica 2. Oh, geez, that's a name I haven't heard in ages. Yeah, which apparently actually had a bug from their localization that ended up locking up the game. Oh, beautiful. I love it when that happens. I'm by love. I mean, when you're fighting a certain boss, it would lock up the game. Oh, my God. It's like Suikoden 2, how there were patches where they just forgot to translate into English outright. Yeah, just, there were some of their games. Junk. There were some of their games where you just ran into untranslated text. That was great. Yeah, my gosh. <laughs> I'm so sad when I think about that. But uh, they are setting a deadline of the end of November. Wow. So really it's a pretty pretty aggressive timeline to go back and mm-hmm. fix a uh, a bad localization and they're gonna put it and the new P in the PC version will be launching with this localization. Right. So, so. that could be why they delayed it in the first place, because they uh, maybe there was a backlash came in really quickly and they said, Oh well this is a problem, we better fix this. So, so yeah, good on them. Here's the thing that a bunch of people are wondering. They are wondering if they should hold off on playing Ease 8 because they're going, well, should I be playing this? Should I be waiting for a real localization? Because uh, am I not getting the proper story? Should I be waiting for the patch? What do you think, Nadia? Um, again, I didn't. there was nothing there that distracted me from the game, which I really enjoyed. But if you are a big Ease fan, and if you have been fit following this game, as I said, since its Japanese inception, I could understand, I guess I could understand why you might want to wait until they fix out the, um, the translation. But I will say, make sure you do get it, because it is a really good game. Um, 
I think our friend Anthony was saying how it was better than Breath of the Wild. I don't know if I agree with that. Lol. But, uh... <laughs> Come on, Anthony. I know but... that Polygon was praising it uh, to the moon. They really liked it. Yeah, but... uh, who, I think it was uh, Phil Culler who uh, reviewed it. Um, and yeah, I didn't get to do a full review, but I did do impressions, and I really enjoyed it. And I am looking forward to going back to it, but again, I guess I, I'll wait until they fix it. May as well at this point. It reminds me of last year when they announced that Final Fantasy Thirteen was getting an addendum to ch- the infamous Chapter Thirteen. Did I say was it thir- Final Fantasy Final Fantasy Fifteen? Okay, I was going to say getting, yeah, yeah. Was it getting an addendum to the infamous Chapter Thirteen, and people were going, "They're completely, they're changing the story, they're adding an update mm-hmm. to the story. What the heck? Like this isn't the definitive version. I'm not going to play it." <laughs> yeah, I remember that. And but, uh, now, and now they're changing the localization. Yeah, I would say if you just want a really good action game, because it, Ease isn't a series that you have to play from game to game. It's very easy to jump into anytime you want. If you just want a really good action game, like you're really hankering for one right now, by all means, grab it now. If you really are that interested in the story, I, I guess I would wait. Uh, as far back as June, people were already lo- wondering about the localization, by the way. So somebody was pointing out that there was an item called the Merciless Shivering Vase. And they were going, oh, what the heck? This kanji does not mean vase. Right? <laughs> like, these kinds of details do matter when it comes yeah. to developing a game. The one thing I can think of off the top of my head is uh, you start the game off in a place called the Nameless Coast, and in the Japanese text, it's called like the Sunshine Coast, and it's like that's a that's a bit of a kind of a weird mistranslation there. Yeah, it why is would, a weird. Why would something sun soaked be associated with the term nameless? That is weird, and, and it is not totally incorrect because it is a nameless area. Well, not really nameless, but it's a very mysterious area. So. I, I guess I could see how a buff, a, a nice buff out would be good for the, the script. Indeed. Well, we'll see how this ends up going, and we'll see if they're able to keep their self-imposed deadline, their very aggressive deadline of... Yeah. I mean, they're even recording new voiceover lines, apparently. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah that's the, what they said. The the voice acting in that game is it's pretty middle of the road, not bad. I did notice one error, though, where, like, uh, you can fish in the game, and whenever Adol casts his line into the water, sometimes he says, oh, shoot, like, like he missed, you know what I mean? Like, he didn't bring up a fish, <laughs> but I'm casting, you know, I-, I haven't brought up a fish yet, you don't have to swear at me. <laughs> All right. Nadia, it's time for a new report. I've heard. I've heard the rumors. We're going to start, finally, huh? We're starting a new report in addition to the Final Fantasy IX report, and that is the Secret of Mana report, the Secret of Mana report. I don't know. Whatever. What yes. Like? Yes, Nadia. I am keeping my promise. I have officially started playing Secret of Mana now yeah. that it is out on the SNES Classic. I kicked it off last weekend with my girlfriend, and this is how it went. Well, we sat down and we we're like, yeah, we're going to play this together. But I discovered, no, of course, the co-op, the co-op doesn't is not immediately, uh, the co-op is not immediately in there. You have to wait right. a little bit. Right. It takes a little bit to to meet up with another party member. Yes. So, uh, so the way it goes is, you're in a village and you're playing a you know, over a waterfall or something like that with your friends who are kind of jerks, by the way. Oh yeah, they're dicks. Totally abandoning you like that. Jeez. Oh, he's hurt bad. Let's get out of here. Yes. 
and you end up falling into a sacred area that you're not allowed to go into mm-hmm. and you find a rusty sword mm-hmm. and because why not because you need to cut through and get out you end yep. up taking it yep. though it seems that the sword summoned you <laughs> Yeah, the sword summons you, and apparently you're not supposed to be able to pull it out. It's supposed to be pulled out by, quote-unquote, a knight in times of great trouble, which something's really screwed up if you're the one who did that. And uh, it's actually a fairly quick introduction. Very Um, much so, yeah. Yeah, you get your sword within, like, the first five minutes of the game. You go to the village. They're like, we cast thee out. (laughs) Get the hell out of here. Don't you fight? I think you fight a boss first. Yeah. Yeah. You fight a boss almost immediately. Yeah. Basically, as I recall, the village, they say, is being protected by the sword. And now that you've pulled it out, you've attracted all these monsters to the area. And in fact, when you enter like one of the first stages of the game, you see this little rabbit. There's a little rabbit with like teeth. And you're like, whoa, what's a rabbi doing here? And you start basically hacking up these enemies as you make your way back to the village. And by the time you get there, yeah, it's attracted uh, um, the, the mantis ant, which is the first boss you fight. Yeah, I felt real bad when I started killing uh, when I started killing the local wildlife. I was like, well, that doesn't seem like a great use of your sword. <laughs> it's awfully, they're awfully cute, aren't they? But they, uh, I think uh, Seekin Densetsu 3 has the, the black rabbi, which will just destroy you. So don't feel too bad. All right, I won't. It reminds me a bit of Pokemon, where it's. I just feel like I'm leaving uh, a trail of r- Rattata cor- corpses. <laughs> they just faint. It's okay. No, no, no. They're dead. <laughs> when they get hit by a hyper beam from a Dragonite, that there's nothing left of that Rattata. It is a just pile sweet. of ash and bones. Well, if the, if if you didn't kill it, then some Pidgey would. I mean, Pokemon is <laughs> not shy about insinu- insinuating that the Pokemon eat each other. It's the circle of life. <laughs> it's brutal, man. But so uh, you you end up meeting with a kind of an, a wise old man, and he says that you need to go to something called Gaia's Navel. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Not entirely certain what that is. It's basically a region of the map. Uh, the thing about Secret of Mana, now thinking back to it, it's not very good about telling you where to go next. No. Uh, you they said the- he says go south, and I'm like, yeah, oh, all right, I'll go south. <laughs> and you're kind of in an overworld, yeah. but not really in an overworld. Yeah. And it's almost like a an outdoor dungeon, I suppose. That's a good point. Yeah, that's a good way of putting it. It really is. Uh, be- because before you can get to Gaia's navel, you have to go to through the kingdom of Pandora, which is a kingdom where everyone is, most people are zombies and they won't talk to you and there's not a lot you can do there at that point. And then you hang a left, I think, and you exit from the left and you keep on going and you'll be at Gaia's navel. Yeah, that's pretty much what I did. I, I went south down to Pandora. I met all the zombie people who were like, dot, dot, dot. <laughs> yeah. And I went into the castle and a girl comes running out and I'm like, aha, there's mm-hmm. my companion. And I was like to Emily, all right, you're... There's your character. We have to figure out how to go get her. I continued on to Gaia's navel, assuming that I would get her. Mm-hmm. And I actually fought a whole bunch of stuff in Gaia's navel. And then I got a little confused and wasn't sure where to go. <laughs> and so I decided to look up a walkthrough. And it was like, no, no, no. Go to the haunted forest. Yeah. And then you'll find her. And I was like, oh, I went to the wrong place because there's a split. Yeah. You can kind of go west to the Haunted Forest, or you can keep going south to the Gaia's Navel. Yeah. 
So I went, I went to the wrong place. So I went up to the haunted forest and I run into these two werewolves who immediately oh. kick the shit out of me. Oh yeah, they're they're brutal. See, here's the thing that I usually do, and this is, uh, I never even thought of doing it your way, so I'm learning new things. I go th- through Guy's Navel, I meet the dwarves, and that's where you recruit the sprite. Yes. So, uh, and then you fight uh, one of the bosses there, and you can get an orb to make your, your sword stronger when you forge it. So, yeah. So, uh, and then I, I go to the forest. So I didn't do any of that. <laughs> I went to the forest first. <laughs> I went up to and the forest. Destroyed. I actually, the first time, so the first time you're fighting these two werewolves who just appear and they're yeah. very fast. And if they hit you, they're going to hit you a whole bunch more. Yeah. Yeah. And you're kind of screwed. Yeah. Because you're going to end up losing a ton of health. You could end up even losing all of your health, essentially. Yeah, and they heal. They can heal themselves. For yeah, they can also heal themselves, and they can flank you. So you have to keep moving around, and you have to be very conservative about yeah. the way that you attack. And by the way, uh, secret, if, if you didn't realize, Secret of Mana is an action RPG. It's yeah, not... It's, it's- it's not a turn-based RPG, so you have to use your skills and reflexes to win this fight. Yeah, and it's a, it's kind of special in that you can't just hack away at the enemy. You have to like take a swing, wait till you're at hundred percent power, take another swing, hundred mm-hmm. percent power. Yes, that's that's the way that the battle system works. Um, yeah, I, I don't know how I feel about the pacing in that. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it I'm, it I'm makes so the battles it. feel a little slow. Yeah, I, I see where you're coming from, but once you have companions, it's uh, it, it becomes a little easier. But yeah, it, it's not like Zelda, which is like hack, 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 hack. No, I almost, I suppose that the downside of being able to just be like hack, 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 is that it's a little, it's a little repetitive, and mm-hmm. it requires a little more communication and tactics mm-hmm. to communicate with your partner and be like, okay, yeah. now you go in. Okay, I'll yeah. go in. Now I'll you go in. Right? Yeah. Because otherwise, you're just like kind of slashing at nothing. Exactly. And I find it interesting that even if you don't do any damage, a swipe of your sword, even at low power, will stun an enemy, which is yeah, a useful thing. Them. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, I killed the werewolves, and uh, Prim came into my party. Emily took control of Prim. So mm-hmm. now we're together. Uh, we keep running into this cat. Oh, that's Nico. Uh, who's selling stuff along the way. So I've been buying gear. It took me a while to realize how I was supposed to be equipping armor. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. I guess the ring menu system is a little confusing in this day and age. Yeah, it's pretty confusing because you go into equip armor Mm -hmm. and you see accessories, but you don't Mm -hmm. see any of the other armor. And what you don't realize is that you're supposed to press up on the controller and... Once I figured that out, I was like, oh, okay. Maybe it would have helped uh, if I had equipped the superior armor that I ended up buying. Yeah, it usually helps a bit. Because I was confused because I bought the armor and then it wasn't showing up the menu. And then I assumed that it was for the other characters. Mm-hmm. I was like, oh, I must have accidentally bought uh, an item for the sprite. Yeah. But no, that wasn't the case. Uh, I real- But then I was like, no, no, but my character can totally wear this. I see his little hat. I see his, his little, little head. head. Yeah. <laughs> that's cute uh so what i eventually figured out we uh we updated everything i'm using the sword emily's mm-hmm. using the spear mm-hmm. i went back to gaia's navel i found the dwarves which has the most repetitive sound isn't that the awfulest music in in the history of everything i don't understand what is with that music to this day it's so bad 
that I had I, to mute it. I turned <laughs> the mute. I turned the volume of the TV all the way down because it was it was like a dentist drill in my head. It's so awful. Such a a beautiful soundtrack most of the time and then to go it's just oh no god no yeah you're doing it to me <laughs> oh jeez ah you're giving That's me terrible kind of memories music that makes your parents say turn that off and do your homework yeah i can't even imagine how annoying that kind of music must be for parents who are i mean when we were all growing up we would be playing these games going man what great soundtracks and to them it must have been just the most repetitive crap <laughs> My best friend's father called it computer-generated noise. I mean, it's kind of what it is, right? It's meant yeah. to be background noise that keeps you focused on the game. Like That's meant to add to the game without distracting from it. Although my parents did really appreciate Final Fantasy VI's soundtrack back then. I mean, who couldn't? Uh, yeah. It was an amazing soundtrack. It was pretty great. Uh, I had a friend, by the way, who I he had a Super Nintendo, and I would go over. And at the time, I didn't really realize it, but he, but he was a bit of a brat. And he would be like... <laughs> Now sit down and listen to this music. And so I'd sit down and he would start, he would crank it up to the absolute like (laughs) ear splitting volumes. And his mom would be like, oh my God, turn that music down. He'd be like, shut up, mom. (laughs) Oh my God. I'd be destroyed if I said that to my mom. I wouldn't exist anymore. Yeah. Well, I don't think he came to, I don't, yeah. So that that kid uh, didn't have a great life to my knowledge, but. In any case, <laughs> yeah, so screw him. But uh, yeah, so yeah, that was the most annoying, most repetitive music I've ever heard. Yeah. That's but I, yeah, awful. so what were we going to say? Oh, I was going to say uh, the rest of the game's music is fantastic and some really mm. experimental soundtracks on yeah, there. Yeah, it's but... decent. So it's all right. I, yeah. not, I haven't heard a lot that's like really stood out to me, but it's pretty solid SNES music. Yeah, it, I think a lot of it will stick out to you later on. It's really the kind of music that doesn't hit you so much at first, but then you, you kind of remember it. And you're like, oh, you know, that's a really nice soundtrack. Tough act to follow after playing Chrono Trigger, must be said. That is true. That I can understand that. But of course, Chrono Trigger came out a couple of years later. Yeah. And I mean, it only has some of the greatest uh, developers ever working on it. So, yeah. I mean, what are you going to do? But I... So, yeah, I... Went to the dwarf guy with everything that I needed, uh, upgraded the sword, I think it is, and mm-hmm. uh, he, I've got the sword, she's got the spear, I got the sprite. That little mm-hmm. jerk of a sprite took my money. <laughs> that was great. Such like a little carn artist. Yeah, a little, they have like the whole carny thing going on where it's like, see the rare rabbite, rabbite man, and it's like they give you one rabbite and one man and say, it's a rabbite man. <laughs> and then they don't understand why you're upset. And they're like giving me a whole sob story about the why the sprite is there and has to work off this insane debt. And I'm sitting yeah. here going, oh, man, am I going to have to pay this insane debt to be able to get the sprite <laughs> onto my team? I'll pay it. But nope. Uh, no, I did not have to do that. The sprite ended up joining my party in relatively short order. Mm-hmm. What's a good weapon for the sprite? You know, I usually stick him with a boomerang. Oh, yeah. Okay. So he has a boomerang already. Like that's his default. Yeah, it's a good weapon because it cuts through a bunch of enemies at once. Um, that's a good weapon. The the uh, spear's a good weapon and the sword's a good weapon. And I really like the whip too, but you don't have that yet. I'm a little confused as to how I'm supposed to give the sprite directions because it doesn't seem as if they're appearing on that little grid where you can set them to giving attack or defend or whatever. Really? That's interesting. Like you, you go to the uh, action grid and he's not he's not there? Not yet, but maybe soon? 
Have you have you fought with him? Like, has he not yet? Joined your... Okay, so he will. I mean, because I've been playing with a with a partner, right? Maybe I, I was just thinking that maybe it would take a little bit for maybe that's why it wasn't appearing right away because the she was controlling, uh, yeah, the the prim. So yeah. It's such a shame, by the way, and, and we've said this before, but it's such a shame that there's no multi-tap for the SNES Classic. I know. I wonder if it would work, like if there's a way to make it. No, I guess not. You can't plug in the multi-tap. Yes. Uh, so, yeah, that's pretty much where we ended. We uh, They opened the shortcut to mm-hmm. the witch's castle, because apparently the witch was a good a good lady once, but... She has uh, been turning people into zombies, and that's not yeah, cool. Yeah, she's a jerk now, so you have to do something about that. Yes, yeah, so I'm going to have to go and do that, and Prim is going to go and try and save her boyfriend. Dyluck. Dyluck, yes. Yeah. Uh, so, initial impressions so far. I uh, The battle system is interesting. Um, it, it's a little slow-paced, uh, right. because obviously you have to do the gauge... Mm-hmm. Wait for the gauge to get to 100% to do a decent amount of damage. And you have to coordinate with your partner where you're like, I go in and hit. She goes in and hit. I go in and hit. Mm-hmm. Um, There's some pretty annoying enemies like the bees. Oh, screw the bees, man. The bees that come in and sting you and you're poisoned. Yeah. That's pretty annoying seeing. But you have candy and uh, that will <laughs> heal yours. And I'm like, candy, 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 candy. candy, candy, candy. Give me the candy. <laughs> More sugar, please. And uh, as you level up, uh, you will find that you can evade enemies' attacks much easier, especially lower enemies. Yes, I noticed that, because I ran into some slimes who were avoiding my attacks a whole bunch, and it was super annoying. <laughs> Those are good things to level up on, though. It was that wonderful RPG uh, conceit of, yes, this is an action game, but because of unseen stats, sometimes you're going to miss, despite the fact that you actually hit them. So yeah, your sword right will go the right through them. I hate that. <laughs> There's a lot of that going on in Secret of Mana, so buckle up. The absolute worst was in C- was in Mass Effect, where you would be aiming, you would be pretty clearly aiming your gun right at a bad guy, but there was a built-in evasion counter, and you would sometimes just miss anyway. I think uh, Casey Green did a, a comic like that uh, concerning Fallout, where you're using the VAT system, and it says like you have a 90% chance of hitting this super mutant's head, 10% chance of missing. And like that one ten percent chance when it happens, the the bullet just veers off into the sky for no reason whatsoever. Yes. <laughs> Same with XCOM. You're like point blank range, and it's like ninety nine percent chance of hitting, and then you somehow go, pew, like just right <laughs> over their shoulder, and you're just like, really, really. <laughs> XCOM drives me crazy with that kind of crap. <laughs> you sneeze. True. Uh, so I. I've been enjoying it for the most part. It's mm-hmm. different, if nothing else. And I look forward to seeing some more uh, Secret of Mana. But that is the Secret of Mana report number one. And by the way, Yay. by the time this podcast is up, there should be a written version of the Secret of Mana report Ooh. on the website. Nadi also did a written version of this Final Fantasy IX report. Uh, so you should go check them out. Yeah, okay. and my second part should be up by uh, by the time this podcast is out. So, yay. Excellent. All right, Nadia, Final Fantasy report number four, is it, at this point? I think we're at four. The written part, I am at two. So it's a little bit confusing, but uh, we'll get through this. Yes, we uh, will. So, no, yeah, it turns well, out you're pretty busy with other stuff, unfortunately. Yeah, uh, I'm reviewing the South Park RPG, so kind of have to do that. Yeah, we're um, going to be talking about that next week, along with Etrian Odyssey yeah. 5. But... Oh, that should be cool. 
Yeah. Uh, but here's where I am. Basically, uh, last time I left off, I believe I was in Lindblom talking to Regent Sid and saying, uh, Garnet's mother's gone crazy. Please help us. Uh, so she's still crazy. And we got a message from uh, Bermesia, a.k.a. the uh, City of Rats, uh, saying the Queen's Rat wiped town. out. Rat, Rat town. Town of rats. <laughs> the City of Rats. Saying, the Queen's wiped out our kingdom. Please come help us. So I have Freya in my party by now, and she's like, well, of course I'm going. And um, uh, what's his name? Zidane says, I'm going to. And I actually recruited uh, Queen, what's her name? Quina? Kina? Quina. Quina. I recruited I th- Quina. I think it's Quina, right? Yeah. It's either Kina or Quina, but I recruited her. She's my blue mage uh, who eats people and to learn their powers instead of just getting hit by their attacks, which is pretty funny. So she's going too. And Garnett says, I'm going too. And of course, Zidane says, no, you're not. You're, you're you know, you're princess, you're too soft. You can't go. So Garnet drugs everyone. <laughs> and uh, when they're all asleep, she's like, well, I'm going to go talk to my mom because obviously this is all a big misunderstanding. So she heads back towards the kingdom. And uh, from there, the plot splits between playing with her and playing as Zidane, who goes to Bermesia with uh, Freya and uh, Kina. So I've been kind of doing juggling both plot lines, and uh, where I am now is I visited Bermesia, and yep, it is totaled. Um, I met Kuja, who is, uh, I'm guessing, the big bad in the game. Uh, he's allied himself with the Queen of uh, Alexandria, who's still nuts, and uh, the Lady Knight, I'm trying to remember her name. Beatrix. Uh, Beatrix, yeah. She's pretty cool. Beatrix Kiddo. Oh, no, wait. Kiddo? What? <laughs> Hey, have you ever seen uh have you ever seen Kid Kill Bill? No, I haven't. You know what? I haven't. You would like Kill Bill. I probably would. I've been meaning to see it because I If you're a weeaboo, you. then you're gonna definitely like Kill Bill. It's like watching yeah, a JRPG in live action movie form. Yeah, basically I've heard I've heard of that. Kind of like the fifth element, which is very much the same thing. Somebody asked on Twitter, what are the five movies that you would tell a significant other to watch to get a feel for who you are. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and uh, Kill Bill was definitely on that list for me. But Oh, I think uh, I chose uh, Airplane, South Park, uh, Princess Mononoke, and Best in Show, which is a great movie more people oh, to watch. Great Have movie. You seen that? Isn't yes, I love that movie. Oh, oh my god! The, uh, the lesbian, uh, the lesbian it. with the little dog, is my yeah. absolute favorite character. But <laughs> oh, we got to have a podcast about that one day. Yes, but, uh, after we'll wrap up the RPG podcast and we'll do a yes. best in show uh, breakdown show. podcast. The best That's in show like. report coming up soon. Yes, I am all about this. Followed by the Kill Bill report. <laughs> <laughs> Nadia's Kill Bill report. But yes, so you've met a number of uh, fairly important characters now, uh, but mm-hmm. let's start with the most important character of all, Quinna. Quinna, yeah. <laughs> what do you think? The most important character. She's pretty great, and she's really useful in battle because uh, she is, a, as I said, a blue mage, but to get powers, you have to eat enemies, which is a little tricky because you have to get them down to, I think, 25% health, otherwise she can't eat them. And, if she, and of course, they have to have a skill that's useful. Otherwise, she'll just say, oh, this tastes bad, and she won't learn anything. Beats hanging uh, out in the Velt. What's that? Be- beats hanging out in the Velt in Final Fantasy that, oh, VI. Yeah, yeah, that's true. It, it does, uh, especially since I cheat a little bit and kind of look up who has skills and who doesn't, because, you know, I don't really have time to, to pick through this. Are you using uh, Quinna? Yeah, so far, I haven't really had a chance to switch out characters. Like, everyone split off, like, uh, Garnet's with... Um, uh, Shoot, what's the poor Tin Man's name? I'm totally forgetting his name now. Steiner. Steiner, yeah. Yeah, Steiner's she, off with, on his own right now. Yeah, he's she's with Steiner, and I actually met up with uh, Zidane's old band, 
and we retrieved something called Super Soft to save, I think, Blank, what's his name, because he got petrified in the uh, haunted forest. Ah, uh, yes. Yeah, so we're in the middle of doing that, and I actually returned to the castle to talk to uh, the queen, and I, I'm captured by Zorn and Thorn. And that's yes, for her. I do not like those characters. The, they're, they're like jerks. jesters. They're, they're evil demon jester things. So I'm captured, and that's where her story has ended. So basically right now, I'm where I am right now is um, Bermisia has been destroyed, so I fled to uh, with the refugees and met them at that big town that's in a tree, which is really cool. I like tree towns. The end of Disc 1. So it used to be a thing. Disc 1? Yeah, that's the end of Disc 1. They really? used to be like a key marker in PlayStation RPGs, the yeah, end of a disc. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. All right, here's a question for you. Which... Uh-huh. Final Fantasy has the best end of disc one, in your opinion? Because, let's see, Final Fantasy VII's... How does Final Fantasy VII's first Seven's disc end? ends, like, right when Aerith gets killed, basically. And that's actually my favorite, because it's a very... Wow, very, that, they put that much on the, the first disc? They did. That's why I was surprised to hear you say, oh, it's the end of disc one. Like, what? Uh, because disc two had maybe half that content. That's the back of the game, and the third disc is just the final dungeon. Just Sephiroth, Yeah. Um, disc one was definitely my favorite in Final Fantasy VII because it had, it was just a very melancholy ending. I love the City of Ancients. I love the music. I love the atmosphere. It's just so creepy. Uh, Eris is dead, of course, and Cloud is... Hell of a way to end the disc. (laughs) Cloud says to his friends, look, I don't know who I am, but I want to find out. And if you want to come with me, then you're welcome to. We're going to go chase Sephiroth. And that was just a great way to end that disc. Final Fantasy VIII... Final Fantasy VIII's first disc also ends on a really strong note. It's one of my absolute favorite sequences, which is the attempted assassination on Sorceress Ultimisia, not Ultimisia, Sorceress Adele. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she was Sorceress Adele. Um, <laughs> the, like the, the pop artist, but... Uh, <laughs> or was it we Eden? Like songs anymore. Sorceress Eden? Mm-hmm. I don't remember. The sorceress. One of the sorceresses. The sorceress before Ultimisia. Yes, her. Uh, you are so you're putting together an entire assassination plot, and it's cutting to different characters as you're getting yourself into position, and then you get that really kick-ass cutscene where Squall jumps down after your sniper totally like gets cold feet, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. and you have to talk him into shooting her. But then, of course, he shoots, and she deflects it with her shield, and Squall goes, <sighs> jumps down, ju- <laughs> jumps into a car, drives up to her parade float, jumps up, but, oh, wait, there's Cypher waiting for you. It's yep. on, baby. And then you have a really anticlimactic battle where you, like, totally take him out. Because yeah. if you have been doing it right, you're probably doing well in excess of, like, 2,000 damage at this point, <laughs> and you're probably going to kill him in two hits. <laughs> That's Final Fantasy VIII. That's Final Fantasy VIII for you. So, but, but yeah, I kind of miss. When, oh, and like, you die. You die at the end of disc one. Oh, that's right. And Squall stays dead according to fan theory, which isn't true. I wrote about that. Put it yes, the fan side. theory. The fan theory. Every fan theory is, but they're actually dead. Yeah, of course it is. Trip. I mean, they're actually dead. In fairness, else. though, that disc is pretty ambiguous because he totally gets a whole bunch of, you know, ice spears through his shoulder yeah. and then falls off a very long way that guy yeah. should be dead yeah, <laughs> okay absolutely. 
And then from that point on, he's in purgatory, as evidenced in the desert prison, and blah, 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 whatever. <laughs> and time <laughs> compression is him going to hell. I don't know. There's a, there's a, there's a whole, like, I love how uh, basically they were told, look, you're thinking about this too much um, in that yes. feature I wrote. <laughs> but in Final Fantasy IX, the Final Fantasy IX's disc ends with the destruction of Bramesia with the Black Mage army coming on mm-hmm. in. And you see the big bad of the game, Kuja. Who's who just kind of has Queen's uh, We Will Rock You as his theme song. Why the hell not? <laughs> so when I saw Kuja, did you see Kuja when he played Final Fantasy IX originally? No, I did not. But I did know him vaguely from Dissidia. Okay. Uh, well, Kuja was a big moment the first time I saw him in Final Fantasy IX. Because, of course, everybody loves Sephiroth. Yeah. Sephiroth was awesome. We all yeah. loved Sephiroth. And then in Final Fantasy VIII, the villain was a little more ambiguous. Mm-hmm. You had Ultimisia, it was like time compression and all that stuff. <laughs> and it, maybe she wasn't as strong a villain as Sephiroth. Mm-hmm. Everybody's going, ah, oh, Sephiroth and Kefka, two of the greatest villains of all time. I want the long silver hair. I want the big cool sword, mm-hmm. the whole nine yards. And so Square was kind of like, oh, whatever, fine. Here, have <laughs> your, your silver haired pretty boy as your villain. It's Kuja. And he's uh, ambiguously gay, and he also has a big pet dragon. Are you happy? (laughs) (laughs) He does have that really cool dragon. I did get to see the dragon, and it looked pretty awesome. Yeah, it does look pretty awesome, doesn't it? It actually looks like it reminds me of a mana beast from Secret of Mana, but you'll see that soon enough. Pretty solid entrance. And then meanwhile, Beatrix Beatrix is a great example of the unwinnable battle. What do you think of Mm. unwinnable battles, Nadia? Uh, they confuse me because uh, <laughs> sometimes when I'm getting my ass walloped in a game, I'm like, oh, it's okay. This is scripted. Then it says game over. And I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> so, it's the worst feeling in the world when you're getting really completely your ass completely owned and you're going, yeah, no, this is totally unwinnable. Game over. Oh, crap. <laughs> oh, I think I, I have to, to actually win this battle. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. So they're kind of uh, they, they were they made a lot of sense I guess back in the day but nowadays I don't think they're so necessary I don't know they're still kind of fun in that retro way I have no strong opinions one way or the other what do you think of uh, did you have any op- opinions on Kuja uh, he has a nice dragon he does have a nice <laughs> dragon I guess you haven't really gotten to know him yet I haven't really gotten to know him too too well yet but uh, he, he's he I do want to know more about him so that's a good sign I don't I'm not like, oh, screw you, you're boring. So that's the worst thing you can have for a villain. As for General Beatrix, I feel like just from a character design standpoint and her position in the army, she reminds me of Celeste. You know what? I was about to say, uh, not just that she reminds me of Celeste, but I noticed her soldiers have outfits very similar to Celeste's, Mm -hmm. uh, her sprite work. So if you ever want to take a look at that, because her, of course, Celeste looks very different between like the game itself and Yoshitaka Amano's drawing. But I did notice parallels. So yeah, I mean, of course, Final Fantasy IX is one giant reference throughout. I mean, yeah. It stands on its own. Yeah, you can absolutely. play this game without having played previous Final Fantasies and enjoy yourself just fine. Mm-hmm. But I don't think it's a coincidence that Beatrix very much resembles Celeste. No, and that's that's a very interesting point because uh, Celeste is a very interesting character in my eyes. Like she's a very young general female in an army dominated by like old guys, like old emperors, and you know Kefka. <laughs> and you had that really disturbing plot they kind of erased out of the Super Nintendo script about how Gastal wanted to breed the two of them. 
It's like, oh, okay, I'm, I'm, I'm glad you got thrown off a continent. She also has a cool sword. <laughs> she has a really cool sword. Sorry, I'm I'm looking through. I, I googled General Beatrix just to make sure that I was getting the name right, and uh, now I'm being completely distracted by some amazing General Beatrix co- cosplay. Oh, that, that, I bet there's some good ones out there. Oh God, yes, I'm I'm looking at some of it on Pinterest. It's really amazing what people can totally pull off. Well, she's a great character design, though. I, I love the. She's a really she's a really nice character design. She's very simple but interesting looking. She, you know, she's not like a. Uh, What's the word I'm looking for? Just an overcomplicated mess of buckles and snaps. Yeah, I like the eye patch. Exactly. Actually, I love the eye patch. She reminds me of L Driver from Kill Bill, who <laughs> is one of the main enemies of the main character in that movie. So, mm-hmm. uh, which is pretty amusing. I mean, Final Fantasy IX obviously came out like three years before Kill Bill, but yeah. it's funny to me that. Th- her name is Beatrix, but she looks like El Driver. But people who've seen that movie will understand what I'm talking about. But in any case, uh, so yeah, the disc ends with Bermisia destroyed. Kuja gives you, uh, everybody's like kind of messed up and like is right. they're on their knees. And Kuja kind of so, flounces his hair. <laughs> very attractive. Time. Yes. And turns around and walks away in a kind of an equivalent of the Final Fantasy VII, yeah. uh, Sephiroth the walking fire. into the fire. It feels yeah. like a callback to that, actually. Yeah. And the dragon's like, I'm a big <laughs> dragon, and then walks out after him. And you go, well, okay, that's a that's a pretty nasty villain right there. That's the thing I'm going to have to fight. Yes, exactly. So, yeah, no, it's, it's a solid ending to like the a- first disc. It definitely makes me interested to fight him, to meet him. Although the the one foe I really dreaded fighting through the whole game was Luca Blight. Uh, yeah. Well, so you dreaded fighting Luca Blight? Why? Didn't you want to? Didn't you want to take him out? Yeah, but I I just I knew he knew his shit, and I'm like, oh god, he's gonna destroy me. Uh, I always anticipate him. the the big fight, the uh, going one on one. We're gonna take him out. <laughs> I get scared very easily when it when it comes to bosses. Like, don't hurt me, uh, friends. So, one more thing. Did you? So, you probably did. You go up the ladder and run into the super strong dragons. <sighs> Let me tell you about those dragons. I did because uh, this, this is what it. happens to everybody. You go up the dragon, you get totally messed up by the the dragons. Yeah. Um. Just to kind of lay out the scene, uh, you go to a grotto on your way to. Uh, Bermesia, and there's a big leviathan thing that lives there, and unfortunately you have to kill it because it's being controlled by dark magic, and there's a couple of moogles that are getting married, and the bell falls and traps like the female moogles made underneath it. That was kind of cute. So I free him. They go into the next room, whatever, and that's where you can go up this ladder. But if you go up the ladder, one of the, one of the moogles says, it's dangerous, don't go up there. And I'm like, yeah, shut up, what do you know? And you go up there, and you're on this little tiny plateau, and the only enemies living there, or most of the, the Mostly the only enemy living there is this thing called a Grand Dragon, which I'm looking at this, and it's like, oh, okay, you're a screen-filling dragon, but I bet I can take you out. Uh, I, I, ha- I, have, uh, I have Freya, and she has Dragon Killer, <laughs> which is an ability. Nope. He just, like, did a Poison Claw, and, like, just, like, I was d- gone in one hit. So I said, you know what? Screw you. And what I did was I cheated. I turned on the 999,000 hit. <laughs> so I did that, and I gained a bunch of levels, and I'm like, yes. What? But, uh, what a cheater. I know, but I wanted to see what would happen, and I killed the dragon. All right, the dragon cheating, died. Cheat Nadia here. <laughs> I, I just told, had to. 
I told you the story about how in college, Emily decided that she was going to get all of my party members up to level 99. Yes. So, was she on that stupid plateau all day? Yep. She went to that plateau and she killed dragons until the... And by the time you get to like level 60, there's a point where the dragons don't give that much experience anymore, of but she kept not. killing those dragons. <laughs> I think the thing that's cool is that I think the dragons can use Thundaga on you. Mm -hmm. And Thundaga obviously is very impressive at that point in the game. Because I don't even think you have Thundara at that point. Do you have Thundara yet? No, I only just started buying equipment that can let me learn like the level 2 spells. Yes, so seeing level 3 spells being used is... mm, Yes, when you get your shit completely wrecked, pardon my language, against one of those dragons, uh, it's pretty amazing. Basically, when you're you're at that level and you're up against a screen-filling enemy, that should be like danger signal signal number one. But then it breaks out Thundaga at that level, and you're like, oh, I probably shouldn't be here right now. The Moogle tells you. I know, but I ignored the poor Moogle. Don't ignore the Moogle, Nadia. (laughs) The Moogle was right. I was wrong. I should put that on a shirt. Don't ignore the Moogle, Nadia. (laughs) (laughs) All right. Uh, Anything else that you want to add about this week's Final Fantasy IX report? Um, I really like Freya. I think she's a really interesting character, and I hear that she kind of gets ignored later in the game, and that makes me sad. Quinna, great character or best character? She's pretty great, but I think I like Freya even better. Who is your party right now? Right now, I've got, uh, uh, um, Zidane, uh, Quinna, uh, Vivi, and, uh, uh, Freya. Quinna does love those frogs. I yeah. I like Vivi. Uh, Vivi and Steiner are pretty OP for the most mm-hmm. part. Freya, I, I just like Dragoons, and Freya is yeah, my so favorite Dragoon, so I like having her in my party as well. I find it interesting. This is something I said on uh, either Facebook or Twitter. Uh, her last name is Crescent, which is the surname of Sephiroth's mother. Oh, yeah. I find that pretty interesting. That is very interesting because usually, uh, usually not always, uh, Dragoons are High Wind. That's their surnames. Although someone pointed out to me, uh, Freya is left-handed, which is another Dragoon trait. Ooh. So there you go. All right. And on that note, check out the website for the written versions of our respective reports. And of course, keep an eye out next week as we continue on into disc two of Final Fantasy IX as we continue our Final Fantasy IX reports. Okay, Nadia. As always, we have reader comments that we're going Yay. to be reading. And we talked a little bit last week about how Zidane's kind of ugly. <laughs> you weren't <laughs> a big fan of the Zidane. And Johnny Boy 407 says, I'll stick up for Zidane a little bit. I like the guy, but he's definitely a different direction for a main character, especially among the PS1 Final Fantasies. Mm-hmm. He's a character that's already achieved self-actualization, or so it seems, when you first meet him. He doesn't have an inner struggle or journey that reflects his external journey. He's along for the ride. He functions more as a side character in the narrative, helping Garnett on her journey to self-reliance, Vivi on his journey to self-confidence. It's not until his own sense of self-identity is shattered that he has a personal journey to complete. What also sets him apart is his whimsical, fun-loving nature and that helpful attitude. A far cry from Cloud and Squall, and I think that's why I like him. He's a new flavor. What do you think, Nadia? Yeah, I, I totally see where that's coming from. Uh, Cloud, I find people get wrong. Like, I, I defend him more than, than some people because Cloud is, uh, not to get too spoilery, but he there is a reason why he comes off as 
not so much a, a jerk, but like he's a little cold. But he does warm up as as the game goes on. And he he discovers more about himself. Squall, I never liked Squall. Zidane, yeah, I I totally get where that comment is coming from because I do think it's different, and I appreciate how he he knows what he wants to do in life. And I I do know there is a crisis later on in the game. I I don't know exactly the nature of that crisis, so don't spoil anything. But that is very interesting because there are not too many heroes uh, who think they have it all figured out and they all just get smacked down like, and have to rebuild themselves. That is an interesting angle. One of my favorite movies is Star Trek II. And it was written by a man named Nick Meyer. And he said that his favorite thing to do is to make a hero who is self-confident, swashbuckling, and awesome like Captain Kirk look mm-hmm. in the mirror and have to admit that they are a fool, that they mm-hmm. know nothing. That is... Jon Snow. That is his favorite thing. You know nothing, Jon Snow. But <laughs> I mean, that's one of the major moments in Star Trek Two. Is in the TV show, Captain Kirk has always been the hero, right? The one-dimensional right. leading man, the womanizer who's had has a girl in every planet, is always killing the monsters, whatever. And at the end of Star Trek Two, he faces his own mortality. He made mistakes. Crew members died, including his best friend, and he says, "I know nothing." Mm-hmm, I was mm-hmm, a fool. Exactly. It's one of my absolute favorite moments in Star Trek. To, and to strip away all of the bravado of a hero and have it just laid bare for you is really great. And so yeah. in that respect, I think that's actually a cool thing about Zidane as well. Also, I, I like the point of him being a facilitator, mm-hmm. uh, facilitating all of these other stories, because there's so many really interesting, wonderful stories going on, especially with Vivi. Yeah. Uh, so, Although and Quinna, kind of I mean, who Quinna's Quinna's journey of self-reflection uh in discovering all of the different wonderful foods to eat <laughs> and how many frogs you can catch. Oh, so but many frogs. It, it's interesting to look back on the facilitator comment where I am now because I played Final Fantasy 12 and I thought that very much of Vaughn. He is not the main guy. He is just the guy from which everything else springs from. It's more about you know, Balthier and Fran and everyone else dealing with their problems and everyone's like, shut up, Vaughn, you know? Shut up, Vaughn. Shut up, Vaughn. Shut up, kid. All right. We also have an email from Ryan Fichtel. Nadia, as you may recall in a previous episode, we were talking about SNES RPGs from hell. And one of the games that we talked about was Final Fantasy Mystic Quest, Mm -hmm. the quote-unquote baby Final Fantasy that was made (laughs) just for us Americans because we didn't know anything. And Ryan writes... I just wanted to write in regard to Final Fantasy Mystic Quest. Now, I fully realize today that this game is a sack of garbage, save a few things, such as the incredible soundtrack. However, when I was 12, this was the first major RPG I played, and I absolutely loved it. I was a Sega Genesis owner in the 90s, and so the only time I ever got to play SNES was at my friend's house. I used to sleep over, and we would play games pretty much all night. When he initially showed me Mystic Quest, I was instantly hooked. It wasn't like any game I had ever played before. I had played Zelda and a little bit of Ultima Exodus on the NES, but I was mostly into Tecmo Super Bowl and Contra. Mm. Mystic Quest was so colorful, it popped off the screen. The enemy sprites were huge, and they changed as you progressed through in the fights. The changing of companions that joined you kept things interesting, and the different weapons you could equip that allowed you to accomplish different tasks on the dungeon maps were incredible. The clock could climb certain walls, bombs blowing up walls, and the axe chopping down trees. For someone who had never really sat down and played a JRPG before, this stuff was all amazing. Even the story was pretty crazy for me at that time. Mm 
This was a game that got my friend and I hooked on RPGs, and I have been playing them ever since. While we quickly moved on to Final Fantasy VI, Chrono Trigger, and for me, the sad set Genesis owner in the era of Squaresoft SNES exclusivity, Shining Force 2, playing these made us realize just how bad Mystic Quest truly was. <laughs> but for introducing me to the genre that I now love, Mystic Quest will always have a special place in my heart. Yeah, Nadia, definitely... is, there, is there an RPG you look back on and go, man, that game actually wasn't that good, but I sure loved it back in the day. Uh, I wouldn't say like I look back on it and say, wow, that's bad, but Secret of Mana was the first game that really taught me, hey, you, you know, games can have really great stories, even though you know now perfectly well that it's a very simple, tropey story, but it is very charming in its own way. So that was the, I, I see where he's coming from, where like I could see if that was your first RPG, that would be kind of a mind blowing experience. Even Final Fantasy Store 4 story, which is very much Star Wars with, you know, Japanese characters, is, uh, it is compelling in its own way, but you look back on it and it's like, oh, okay, well, this is, this is what it is. But when you look at it as a kid, it's, it's really incredible. If looking back on the games that I used to own as, as a, a kid have taught me anything, it's that I had an excellent taste in video games. <laughs> uh, I, I don't know why, but it seems like all the games that I owned were pretty much classics. And yeah, I had some bad games. I played Ghostbusters 2, for God's sake. Um, oh, God. I played that game into the ground. Also, Indiana Jones for the NES. But you know, when you're a kid, you uh, kind of stupid game. Yeah, you kind of play everything. Uh, in yeah. hindsight, Battletoads not that great. Yeah, Battletoads not very good. I used to think Final Fantasy VII was the greatest RPG, <laughs> and that it was actually untouchable. And to argue against that was stupid. But then I got a little older and mm-hmm. realized that no, the story wasn't actually that deep. It was interesting. And ambitious, but I needed to stop acting like it was, you know, up there with Shakespeare or something like that. I wasn't (laughs) the smartest high schooler. That was a sign of like being a '90s kid when he thought that like Final Fantasy VII was like Shakespeare. Uh, I don't think I ever used that term, but I do remember thinking anime is the perfect genre. I mean, it's so deep and so amazing. And how can you possibly argue against it? It's incredible. It's the greatest thing ever made. And if you don't watch anime, you're an idiot. Uh, Yes, that was me in high school. I was insufferable. Thank you for asking. (laughs) All right. Thanks for writing in, Ryan. And uh, as always, you can contribute your own thoughts on everything we talk about. Send us an email at usgamer at usgamer.net or leave a comment on show notes or follow us on the Twitter machine. I'm at the underscore catbot and Nadia is at Nadia Oxford. And of course, Act of the Blood God is a US Gamer podcast. Find us on iTunes, Stitcher, wherever podcasts are sold. Do me a favor. If you're really enjoying the podcast, please leave a review and rate us. We really appreciate it. It helps our visibility on all of the various places where you can get podcasts if you leave a review. And plus, it warms our heart when it you does. like it the podcast. Nice. Yes, it makes us feel good to see comments from you. And it makes us want to continue to do this show. We've been doing this for a few years now. It's time consuming. And it can give you a little bit of a boost, right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. All right. I'm, uh, as always, on Twitter at the underscore cap edits. I was just saying, Nadia, Nadia Oxford. Uh, Twitter, US Gamer, US Gamer Net. Facebook, US Gamer Net. And of course, don't forget that we stream every Tuesday and Thursday. US Gamer Net, Mike uh, and Katie have continued their quest for the chicken dinner in PUBG. 
And occasionally I jump in there too. I did an SNES Classic Marathon not too long ago, mm-hmm. which was kind of fun. And if you want to find out when I do these more impromptu streams, you should subscribe. Uh, yeah. Uh, and of course, we have our other podcast, which is the US Gamer Podcast. And uh, last week, let's see, we were talking about loot boxes. We were talking about Katie's first Xbox. I didn't realize that this was a thing for her since she never really had an Xbox. But I guess she's pretty young, so yeah <laughs> she never and you know when you're young you're poor so it's hard to get a yeah. system that you don't necessarily care about absolutely and uh you talked about oh yeah you talked about the ease 8 localization and talked about uh, the ease 8 localization and also the uh, nintendo world championship oh yeah which uh, you went to i did and it was a lot of fun and i kind of relayed my experiences not only uh through my podcast but through uh i wrote a thing for us gamer itself that yes has you lots did of pictures and videos and and stuff to keep your attention yeah we got a bunch of cool stuff up on the site Uh, mike did a big history of microtransactions and loot boxes and everything i wrote a little bit about fifa and the u.s national team crashing out Uh, there were the final fantasy 9 and secret of mana reports and oh yeah uh we rounded up all of jeremy Parrish's metroid Mm -hmm. game by game reviews we reviewed every single metroid game we did If you want to read about that, if you want to read reviews for Metroid 1, 2, Prime, Prime 2, yes, even Metroid Other M, that is on the site. Okay. We will be back, as always, next Friday. And until then, for for Nadia and myself, I've been Cat Bailey. We'll see you again soon. Happy adventuring. Happy adventuring.